Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September the 18th, 2019, and this is episode 2512 of the Survival Podcast. It is Wednesday. We are on our regularly scheduled programming, so it's time for an interview. And I got a great guest for you. Many of you guys have followed this guy forever. Maybe some of you have actually followed this guy for longer than you followed me. He's been on the show a few times before, but I think the last time was in 2012. His name is Fernando Fairfowl Aguirre. And this is a guy that lived through the 2001 socioeconomic collapse of Argentina. He's the editor of the Modern Survivalist website and the Modern Survivalist YouTube channel. He's recognized in the survival and preparedness community for his firsthand and practical approach to survivalism. He published his first book called The Modern Survival Manual, Surviving the Economic Collapse in 2009. Due to the continuing instability and growing social unrest, Fernando bugged out of Argentina with his family in 2011. This experience is the topic of his second book, Bugging Out and Relocating, When Staying Put is Not an Option. Fernando has lived in Argentina, the United States, Spain, and Northern Ireland. He now resides in a small town by the sea in Spain with his wife, three children, and Spike, their English bull terrier. Fernando will be joining us today in just a bit to discuss Argentina's 2001 collapse and the current state in Argentina, along with South, the rest of South and Central America, including Venezuela, the current situation in Europe, political trends, bugging out in an uncertain future, and a whole lot more. It'll be a great interview. We'll have Fernando on in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Western Botanicals. I have used herbs for almost as long as I was old enough to make a decision about what to use for my health. My experience with herbs goes back to my grandfather who taught me about simple herbs like, like plantain uh, and how they could be used along with comfrey for wound healing. And so I've always had a reverence for herbs, and I really wanted to have a good herbal supplier when I, when I started this show as a sponsor. When Western Botanicals showed up, I knew I, found, I had the right people. I just looked at what they were doing. I looked at their, 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 their ideology. I looked at their marketing. I looked at how they did things. I looked at the fact that they had real people that really cared about their customers. And they didn't lie. They didn't mislead. They did everything by the book. And then everything that they have is either wildcrafted or organically grown. So when they wanted to be a sponsor, it was easy to say yes. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. Everything you can need for your herbal needs, you'll find at Western Botanicals. And they give away their discount membership for free to all members of the MSP. Next up today is the Free State Project. Free State Project started out a number of years ago, almost already 10 years ago, when a group of people got together and decided it would be a good idea if you just took a whole bunch of liberty-minded people, moved them to one state, and just tried to drag that state to as much freedom as it could stand. Uh, they looked at all the states, and they chose New Hampshire. You know, There was a lot of reasons, the size of the government, the size of the state itself, the number of people necessary to make a huge difference. And they launched the Free State Project. And uh, you got to check these guys out, man. Even if you don't want to move to New Hampshire, this is an organization worth supporting. We live in a republic, and when one state is able to do things, and the whole world doesn't fall apart there, it is an example that other uh, liberty-minded people in other states can point to and say, well, they did this in New Hampshire. Nobody's dying in New Hampshire. The world didn't explode in New Hampshire. You know, all the TVs didn't turn themselves off in New Hampshire. This is It's actually okay to do this. See, it works. 
And I've been supporting these guys for almost as long as TSP's been around. So that goes back to about 2009 is when I first found out about these guys and started really supporting them. I've spoken at multiple of their events. I'm going to be at Port Fest next year. Uh, you got to check these guys out. Just go to fsp.org and you can learn more about the Free State Project or take a look at their banner on our website. Liberty in our lifetime is their credo, and it's something that's really possible. You need to get to a Free State event to understand what's really going on up there, to really understand what people are doing and the impact that people are making. Porkfest would be a great one. I'm going to be there in June next year. You want to come hang out with me and Dorothy for almost a week, you want to get to Porkfest. Check it out again. You learn all about Free State Project at FSP.org. Uh, that brings me to just a real quick reminder about the MSB. You can get a great discount. Uh, for Western Botanicals, wonderful. 50 bucks worth of a discount membership value. And, uh, um, and just a ton of other discounts. And right now, MSB is on sale for 25 bucks a year. And if you get that rate, it locks in for as long as you stay a member. You're talking about a membership that can save you a couple hundred dollars a year if you even attempt to use it a little bit. For 25 bucks. It's a win-win. You get to be a member and support the show. You get your money back in spades at that price. And I get to keep doing what I do, which is provide five podcasts a week for you guys. So check it out. Go to survivalpodcast.com and click on members to join. And right now, the discount code you want to do to get that special, use to get that special rate is give me 25. It's that simple. It's the numbers two five. Give me two five. Use that discount code and you will get a, a, a great price on MSB. If you're ever trying to sign up with a discount and something doesn't work right, trust me, I didn't screw you. Over. I got mad at me like, you lied. No, I, yeah, that's what I did. I, I, I've spent the last 11 years of my life building this business so that I could lie to Bob. That's, that's what I did, sure. Anyway, uh, just email me and tell me if something's not working. We will make it work for you. 25 bucks. That sale ends Monday of the coming week, man. So make sure you're getting in on it while you can. And then the other thing, pay attention. We are going to be next Saturday releasing tickets for the 2019 fall TSP workshop here at Nine Mile Farm. Uh, I'll be telling you more about that workshop this week, but you want to be there. This is going to be a flipping awesome workshop. Just the one thing I always want people to understand when I, when I pitch the workshop. Number one, if you want to come, do not sleep in on Saturday. Okay. Sometimes tickets are available for a day or two. Sometimes tickets are gone in 50 minutes or less. Okay. So the reason that's the case, though, about 60% of any workshop will be people who have been here before. And I'd say about 40% will be people that have been here like five or more times. People do not take a week off of their life and spend 500 bucks plus travel expenses and reorganize their life to go do something over, you know, year after year after year if there isn't something really special about it. So I don't say this to make sure that I sell out because I, I sell out anyway. I say this because I'd like to change that ratio just a little bit and get some more new people that haven't been here before to come. So definitely pay attention. You want to be on the email list and make sure you don't forget about that. You can just sign up for the daily mail by going to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on subscribe. You get a daily email from me. It ain't no big damn deal. I don't share your info with anybody. I send one email a day. It's all text, no garbage mixed in with it. And it's just like somewhere between three and five bullet points. Here's stuff that's going on. Here's links. If you only want to look at one of them, just look at one of them. One mail a day. It's more work that way for me to do it manually instead of automating it. But it really is makes it simple. People like it. You might too. 
With that, let's go ahead and introduce our special guest. All right, folks, and we have not had this guy on the air with us since 2012. We just figured that out together talking. It's way too long. I want to welcome back to TSP, Fernando Fairfowl Aguirre. Fernando, welcome back to TSP, man. Jack, it is great to be talking with you again, and yes, good, good times, but it's been quite some time, right? Yeah, it was like episode 800 and something we just figured out. It's 2512 today. It's been a while. Uh, but I'm glad to have you on the air with us again. Um, you're well known in our space, but I get new people on this show all the time. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about who Fernando Aguirre is and, and what your kind of background is and what led you into the world of you know, blogging and vlogging about modern survival? Sure. Well, my name is Fernando Aguirre. I've been in, in this um, world of survival and preparedness for quite some time. I, I got really interested in it from a pretty early age, but the thing that really it woke me up about what really worked and not was my experience in, in Argentina. I'm originally from there. I'm Argentine. Uh, I did live in the United States when I was little, a little bit as well, travel around. My, my folks, my, my dad was a, a banker, so we traveled, moved, and lived in different places. But uh, being in Argentina when uh, things got complicated there in 2001, when the, the country basically defaulted on its national debt and pretty much collapsed in just a few a few days. Um, we're talking about a full-blown economic collapse, president resigning, martial law declared, and crowds over three people after 8 p.m. being arrested kind of situation. So that was when I really got to see that many of the things uh, I believe that were uh, re related to survival were not really useful in that kind of situation. So I started learning, writing, and ever since I have never really stopped. Can you tell us, like, what what was that like as Argentina melted down? And, and more importantly, that was 2001. This is 2019. That's a while, yeah. right? What's the situation yes. like in Argentina now? Is everything all, you know, uh, sunshine, puppies, and kittens now, or is it still pretty bad? Literally, it's about to collapse completely like Venezuela, and I'm not making this up. This is a, a fact that anyone can check right now. The thing is this. Argentina went to hell in 2001. After that, as I was saying before, the, the political disaster was huge as, as well. No one wanted to take charge of anything. Of course, the, the leftists were the ones that saw the opportunity there, and the, the Kirchner uh, matrimony, uh, Nestor and his wife, took control of the country. Basically, Nestor became president, then came his wife, re-elected, so it's been 14 years of that madness that just destroyed the country even beyond 2001 because of the well-known socialist leftist politics that we know fail. Well, they failed terribly in Argentina as well. It became very tough to live there. That's eventually why I ended up leaving Argentina. Now, the thing is this. Um, a new president came uh, the past uh, four years, uh, a guy called Mauricio Macri. It's a guy more conservative, right-leaning, friends with Donald Trump, uh, more business-oriented guy. Four years later, he's pre pretty much being kicked out. And who's coming, coming back now? Cristina Kirchner. She's about to win the elections next month. Huh. You wonder, does anybody learn anything? I mean, when you when you nope. look at our young people in, in in my country here in the United States, um, and you see them calling and begging for socialism, 
and, and you, you're someone that lived through it. And let's, you know, people could talk shit about Venezuela, right? Because Venezuela yeah. was, it was always, even when it looked really good, it was always on the edge. Argentina was freaking like the, the France of South America, man. I mean, it was a, a, a cosmo, you know, Buenos Aires was a, a, a cosmopolitan city. Uh, it was a place that people traveled to and it, It, it looked like it took a long time, but it really melted down very fast. When you live through that, and then you see people begging for the things that caused it, how does that make you feel, and what do you say to those people? Well, it makes me feel awfully bad, of course, but at the end of the day, this is why I ended up leaving, and this is something that some of my friends in Argentina... Listen, right now, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff in Spanish as well. They're, they're begging me to make translations of my book in Spanish. I'm not even kidding. I'm getting messages every single day, several... Please do this in Spanish because we're so going to be needing it. And I'm actually doing it. You know, I'm, I really want to help people out and I understand what they're going to be facing yet again. Now, at the same time, you are a little bit upset and pissed because they brought this on themselves, just like it happened in Venezuela. Who on his right mind votes for the thing that caused the collapse pretty much in the first place? Who, who votes for Nicolás Maduro or, or Hugo Chavez? Who votes for that sort of, or sort of people? At a level, I understand that you know it's a complex topic because many of the people that are voting now, they've been the ones that were indoctrinated as, as children in those schools when she was president when her husband took control of the country jack socialists go after children and this is not like in a horror movie kind of way it's in a very real way you know perfectly well they go they get into education a lot so as to influence people and those will become votes later on so that's what ended up happening in argentina it's their it's the fruit of their labor yeah i i'll tell you in some ways i look at it when you say they go after kids you're right And the way I see it is, you know, the average kid stops believing in Santa Claus at about six to eight. I think the average kid today stops believing in socialism around 35. <laughs> like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it takes that long to wake up to the reality. And the longer they stay poor and fail to enter the workforce, the longer they'll cling yeah. to the belief in socialism. So if you're a 29-year-old grad student who still hasn't gotten out of school, And has never held a job beyond being a barista at Starbucks. And I'm not putting that down, but that's just where you are. It's much yeah. easier to sell you on socialism than, you know, when uh, being an older guy like myself, you know, that by, when, by the time we were in our late 20s, we were pretty far along in our lives. We were not still in school or whatever. We were actually, you know, working jobs, building businesses, whatever. And when you're the one earning the income that they want to redistribute, You're a little less open to the idea. When you're already dead broke, if everybody's poor, so what? I'm already poor. And I know that sounds facetious, but yeah. that's how I think these, these people view this. And then, like, you, if you see our Democrat clown show here in the United States right now, yeah. and for anybody who's a new listener, when I condemn Democrats, I am not defending Republicans. I'm just condemning Democrats. It's all. But this yeah. clown show is literally, they are now one-upping each other on what they can give away the most of. And if you want to parallel to Venezuela... That is Venezuela. That's exactly what Venezuela ended up to with. We can have free this. You can have free that. You can have free the other. Wipe out student loan debt. Uh, we're going to put $20 trillion into, uh, into housing, etc. Like, how does anybody think this is going to work? And, like, when you look at Argentina, you kind of just said that. Do you, is there any hope there right now? Or is it, you know, you said it's on the edge of total collapse. 
No, I'm, it really isn't. I know that in our survival prepper community, there's, there's always this, it's going to be happening right now. It's going to, well, this is not the case. This is a, a fact written in stone. Argentina is going to be going down to hell in just a couple months because she is going to be winning. She's going to be winning. She, mm. she already won, won the primaries and it, it's like a 15, 17 point difference. It's pretty much impossible for him to win. For Mauricio Macri to remain in power, it's, it's pretty much impossible. And he's, he's just trying to not resign uh, until, before the elections. That's the only thing he's trying to do. So they're going to be back in power. And they already talked about um, taking over uh, uh, lots, uh, plots of, of farms. One of their henchmen is already rolling with this idea of um, – you know the the rich uh, farmers and landowners redistributing that to some of the poor people. That's something in the in the conversation already. So imagine what's going to be happening there. What have you been up to? Like you got the hell out of there. Are you still in Ireland, or did you go somewhere else? Um, currently, I'm in Spain. I, okay. Yeah, I lived in Ireland for uh, for a few years, and it was great. Um, but uh, one of the things that I, I loved it there. One of the things that got to me though was uh, the weather was was not so so cool <laughs> after a few years being under the, the clouds. So, and Spain is where my, my family really originates from. Even before my grandfathers, uh, they were born in Spain and they moved to Argentina. So it's um, a lot more like home. But you know, Jack, I'm, I'm really not married to any place. I, I just enjoy. Uh, being in different places and uh, it's a little bit addictive even uh, but uh, so far I'm, I'm really happy here at the moment awesome awesome so um what's the current situation in europe though i mean we've seen a lot going on like in france with the yellow vest movement it's yellow like jackets a, yeah like a lot of disruption going on it's at a great degree, it's very much exaggerated because I've been to Paris and it's really not the hellhole you would think by by watching the news. Sure, there's the protests and all that stuff. The biggest thing here right now in Europe is the Brexit stuff. It's um, it's something that um, it's going to be hitting UK quite hard, to be honest, in in my estimation, because. All the, it, it's been four, it's been three years since Brexit started basically and the European Union got its, its ducks in a row and, and started uh, planning for that. Now, uh, the politicians in UK were always, okay, we're going to be staying, we're going to be leaving, no, we're going to be negotiating, no, we're going to be ha having a harder stance of leaving without a deal but not really meaning it. So it's now like, by Halloween, they're going to be leaving with or without a deal, and leaving the European Union without a deal is hard, to say the least, especially if you've been living in the European Union for 50 years. Think of it like a state in the United States leaving the U.S. overnight. How would that work? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it's got to be one or the other, and I think that the half-in, half-out thing is, is the, the big problem. I think the people that think, like, they can't do it and be okay, that's just – that's just stupid because there wasn't always a EU, right? So there wasn't always that way. So it can, you know, like, states can separate from unions and it can be okay. But it's the lukewarm thing. Like, the lukewarm thing doesn't work ever. I think there's... And, and you know. the thing is, Jack, you cannot do that overnight. I mean, if, if you, you're telling me, can a country leave? Yes, you can absolutely do that. Um, 
Can you leave? Can can Texas leave the United States tomorrow and have no um, have lines on the border without food flowing in, without every supply that you got used to having your entire life coming in anymore? Just stopping that overnight? No, you honestly cannot do that. Uh, and <laughs> I'm saying this fully understanding that there's a lot of people that are very uh, pro Republic Texas and becoming. A, I, I completely get that. You cannot realistically – serious people understand you cannot do that overnight, and you cannot do that even in just a few days. It's, it's just impossible. You need to plan for that for that type of, of – you have to form a new country basically, uh, and it's not done, of, not done overnight. You know, they were talking about deals, uh, world trade or uh, – going back to the world trade organization type of deals. Some of those, for example, the one they had with Canada, it took two years to broke that deal with Canada alone. That is with every single country you plan on dealing with from now on. For from uh, for Halloween, it's simply not going to happen. Yeah, I, I think there has to be in any decoupling of anything. It, like even these massive departments of government that we hate, that we want gone. I think that's something yeah. that everybody needs to understand as a realist, that there has to be a decoupling and there has to be a scaling off. The problem with that is tends to be that if there's a decoupling, there's never a full decoupling. There's like there's all these tentacles that continue to hang on. There has to be some break point in these things. And with things like a nation being formed out of a union and leaving, there has to be an acceptance of the population that there's going to be pain, there's going to be yep. a sacrifice, and that it's worth it. And unless you have buy-in from the populace, To get through that, because, you know, we don't live in a world like, could you imagine just if we went back to the way things were in the United States during World War II with rationing? <laughs> I mean, people can't, people can't turn off an Xbox for 15 minutes without having a, a breakdown. So I no. think that the, the, the problem is there are problems no matter how you do it. And you have to have buy-in and a willingness to sacrifice in the interim. I don't think it would actually take that long for Texas to be able to make trade agreements with other co countries. We're one of the biggest economies in the world. We can produce our own electricity. We have multiple seaports. Uh, we have our own defense systems. I mean, I think Texas could make a fairly quick transition, but you can't do it overnight. It can't be done overnight. You have to still deal with the fact that, like, okay, now I have residents in my new country that have property in the country I just left. They have business deals, et cetera. Like, it's not as simple as some people would make it out. It could happen. I don't think it's going to. I very much love what the Texas Nationalist Movement's all about, but I just don't see it happening because I don't think the will's there to go through the suffering. Right. How, do you have any idea how much food Texas produces? Can it feed itself? But I'll give you just an example of the problem with, with Brexit is 40% of the food they have is imported with from trucks yeah. if flowing in from the European Union. And – You know, yes, we're going to be leaving. Okay, where are you going to be getting that 40% of food? Well, we're still going to be buying it from the European Union. Okay, perfect. Uh, you will not be getting it w without a free trade at the same price that from the start. Then if you have a separate country, you need borders because that's kind of the idea of having your own country, your own control. And one of the big Brexit things was, was get back control. And at the same time, those same, same guys are, are telling you to uh, go a certain way, are telling you we're going to be just you know, waving those trucks in, not controlling any of those. That's not, not a serious proposition. That's not how things are done. If If you're going to be controlling borders, you have to do it. 
and, and then there's – it's a huge problem in – I lived in Northern Ireland and one of the big problems with the UK leaving the European Union is that it's violating the Good Friday Agreement which says there's not going to be a physical border between Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And that is a mess that so few people understand what that means. Only those that, that live there know what Northern Ireland is in relation to the Good Friday Agreement. Once you have that border up again, you're talking about terrorism in your homeland. That's no joke. And that's just one more drop in the huge bucket. I don't know. Yeah, to I mean, be honest, it, there's I, no doubt that it's more complicated there than it would be if they ever did it here. Texas is a net, <laughs> yes. Texas is a net exporter of food. Texas okay. is a net exporter of energy. We refine okay. about half of the oil that gets refined in the United States. So they would have to yeah. make a deal, or would you, you don't want oil, oil, okay, you know, good luck with that. So I mean, we're at that's I think in a why, better position, <laughs> much better position. But I don't think that the population has the will. They're making right. a big deal out of like three hundred eighty-four thousand people um, have joined the the movement, so to say. But I don't think a lot of those people really understand exactly, you know, what this really would be like. And let me just real quick, just to put that in perspective, population of Texas is 28.4 million. So you got 300,000 people, it sounds like a lot, but 300,000 out of 28 million, you're far from a consensus. Yes. And as Europe has shown us, a 51% vote to exit does not equal an exit. It equals a no. maybe exit. So... I think there's a lot of craziness going on. We were talking about some other craziness. Uh, potential war with Iran, that is just set up to cause so much global disruption. And this thing with the uh, the cruise missiles and the drones supposedly from Iran, you and I kind of share a, a viewpoint there that that just doesn't seem likely. Like the country with no. the least to gain by this is Iran, and the country with the most to gain is Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense uh, at all. I mean, I know that it's what's being pumped into the mainstream media, but you, you have to step back a little bit and, and realize how crazy that sounds. It makes no sense whatsoever. Why on earth would Iran want to start a, a war with Saudi Arabia? Just it's, – it's not in their best interest, so as to put it lightly. No, no. It's – because I said this yesterday on the air when I was talking about this a little bit um, – uh, if we if we went into Iran, there is no doubt it would not be a cakewalk. There would be all, it would be a lot like Iraq and Afghanistan have been. It would be a mess. But if we wanted to eliminate the current government that's there, that could be done in two weeks, and they know that. So they do yeah. not want war with the United States. And what's scaring the hell out of me, and people think this is odd that it would scare me, but the reason it scares me is it makes it more likely that that the, our government might do it. Is Russia hasn't said shit. Russia's usually the one that's always like, hey, man, U.S., you need to stay out of this. This is an ally, whatever, of ours. I have I, Maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't heard a peep out of Putin or Russia about this at all. And that's, that's very concerning because it does make it more likely. And isn't it odd that, like, within a week of John Bolton getting tossed out, all of a sudden this happens? Yes, and it's, it's super suspicious. And yeah, I, I don't know the... The relationships be between Russia and the current Iranian government. The, the, the thing is, I, I would just leave them alone. To be completely honest, <laughs> I just let them do their thing, and you know, starting trouble with, with people. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't see the benefit in it, 
to be I, I don't either. I mean, I'd put it this way. It. <laughs> I, I would put it this way. Let's say Iran did do it. Let's say it did. I still don't think we should do shit. Like Saudi Arabia, we sell you all kinds of jets and stuff. You want to invade Iran, go ahead. Use them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You go do it. Don't ask us to come. Because the last time we fought a war that involved defending Saudi Arabia, we started like this 35 years of, of, of you know, war on terrorism. All yeah. this crap with Bin Laden and everything, that all goes back to the first Gulf War. Well, I, we won't dig into that because that's too deep for people today. But it all has its genesis there. And yes. like, so I, I look at it like when it comes to the Middle East and the United States, literally everything we have ever touched, we have made worse, right? We might have done some good for some people, but the totality of the situation is worse today because of everything we've touched every single time. When you have a track record that every time you touch something, you make it worse, stop. Like, Just let it be and let pieces fall, whatever it is, and let people start out their own backyard and let, let it be I mean, whatever it is. Let's say you're working on your car and you yeah. keep making it worse. Don't you eventually go, you know what, I'm towing it to the mechanic and I'm going to stop. But yeah. not us, no. We're like ripping shit out, shoving things in places they don't belong, and going, you know, this car's a mess. We have to fix it. You're not qualified to fix it, guys. You messed it up. And it's, it, it seems to me there's just so much going on right now. It's very disturbing to me. Uh, some of the stuff I have in your notes for, for, from you right now are things like the stuff going on in the United States with Antifa, the stuff yeah. going on with fake news, which I think you can believe in fake news and still not like Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump can be right and you can still not like him. Like when yeah. he says fake news, I agree with a lot of what he's saying there. And then people don't have confidence in the news. So even when the news is telling the truth, people don't believe it. And then you add on groups like far-right extreme groups, far-left extreme groups, and clashes in the streets, and people losing their shit over a freaking statue that's been there for 100 years. That's settled down for now, but don't think it's gone. Like, what do you see coming out of that powder keg? I I see a pretty dangerous pattern in some things, and uh, I see a, a parallelism between what's happening now in in U.S. and what I saw with with, with the rise of the leftists in Argentina when they first started. You know, they even use the same code words like like resistance. Yeah. We're going to be resist, resisting Donald Trump. I, I don't like Donald Trump. I, I'll be completely honest with you. Now, do I think that you have to resist a democratically elected president? That, that, that's crazy talk. That, that's the kind of – you resist only a tyranny. You don't resist someone that was elected through democratic vote. That's the dangerous language that the left is using. And, and people keep you know, making nothing out of it. It's no big deal. But they're arming themselves. Jack, you, you must have seen that as well. They're arming themselves in, in this resistance that they're planning on doing. I don't take anyone arming himself – in 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 a way that they're planning to use those guns against me as something that should be taken lightly. I don't know uh, what's your take on that, but it's it, it's a pretty complicated situation that could get very fast and much worse than it is already. Yeah, and we have these groups that look like they're completely incompetent walking around now with AR-15s. The problem is that competency comes pretty quickly. Even like It's easy to make fun of the snowflakes and the social yeah. justice warriors and all, but there, the, history has shown that leftist ideology has 
brought to the world the most dangerous forms of violence that the world has ever known. It's always been leftist ideology that's brought that, even when it's cloaked as being right-wing ideology. Because if you look at even, like, people would immediately say, well, ah, the one place you're wrong is Nazi Germany. That was a leftist ideology. It was like, people say, well, you know, they hated the communists, and the communists hated them. Well, as you very well know, you can have two factions of Christians that kill each other. Absolutely. Right? So the, the concept that just because two factions of a group hate each other, that they're not the same yeah. in overriding ideology is, is nonsense. And, and you mean Nazism was socialism. It was a nationalist socialist. That's socialist it party. <laughs> and it, was, it was a very leftist ideology. And actually, if you look at a lot of what the current leftist ideology is calling for in the United States – It looks an awful lot like the fascism they claim to oppose. Now, I got to say this because, again, new listeners, the right is fascist. I understand that. That's not my point. My point is, like, there's a populist fascism going on, and that's when you get into really dangerous territory because that's where you get mob violence, you get mob rule, you get mob support, you get elected officials being chased and screamed at and threatened. And sooner or later, you're going to get violence. And the one thing that I can say that makes this really scary to me is the left historically has this propensity to use violence. In this country, because people are armed, the right is a hell of a lot more capable of inflicting it. And that spells, at some point, an absolute bloodbath. Now, does that mean it's going to happen? You and I are the same. We say, no, we never say what's going to happen. We're just saying here's a potential outcome that's really scary. Yeah, it's um, – I don't take lightly when people uh, – as you were saying before, it's – I see it on YouTube as well. It, the world today is so interconnected. I, I'm pretty sure we both saw the same clips about uh, this this chick that obviously has no idea how to hold a gun and she's walking around with her AR and there's yeah. a bunch of, of other guys with, with AR-15s and they're all looking badasses and you, you boo them and they all run scared. But they're still armed. Yeah, and they're armed communists. They're armed leftists. They're armed uh, people that have, as you were saying, perfectly clear. It is a group of people that has an, a, a historic record of being dangerous on its own. And, and when they are armed, and there's also a few clips as well there of of one one or two guys that were not that bad at it and were actually doing some more serious tactical training, and they were. Um, Man, the name escapes me, but there's at least one gun club arming and training these communists. I, I don't remember the name right now, but it's it's pretty well known. Hmm. Hmm. Man, yeah, it's, it's... – uh, I don't know. You, you must have seen a, a bearded guy obviously with military training. He, he's a, a veteran probably uh, hanging out with this Antifa. It, it's it's a, an Antifa gun club basically. Well, and what even scares me more than that is – We have trained people, we call them police and military, and there's this fantasy that if this breakdown happens, that they're all going to cross the line and stand with the Patriots or whatever. And uh. it's not, and, and you know what? I'll tell you what, in 1975, that might have been the case. What I have seen change in the mentality of police alone in the last 20 years is sad and frightening. And I have seen. And I get bashed as a cop basher. I'm not a cop basher. I'm a basher of people who do bad things. There just happens to be a lot of cops doing that right now. And I have seen a mindless nature to policing 
in the past 10 years that I can't even explain how it's gotten that bad, but I know that it has. And that when you have riots going on, cops will defend the state because that's what they're trained to do. It's not even at that point whether they're good or bad people. It's what they're trained to do. It's what they're conditioned to do, and it's how they get paid. And the worse things get, the more important it becomes to not lose your job. And I've talked to some cops that you're like, you know, they, they completely disagree with everything they're being asked to do, but they do it. And the longer they're a cop and the closer they are to their retirement, the more they're willing to do that which they don't believe in anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And, and compromise their – because i got to take care of my family first. Yeah. And you could bash that or you can actually understand human psychology and go, well, what did you expect? And I think a lot of these communists, what they're expecting is if we win in getting our way – then we don't have to use guns to enforce. The enforcers will do it for us because the main reason people are so comfortable with violence in our world today to enforce the will on others is because it's violence by proxy. You can be for the violence. You can be supporting the violence. You can ask for the violence. You can demand the violence, but you don't have to do the violence. And that makes it where a populist type of uprising in this leftist world can create this massive amount of violence by the state. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how in just a couple years because it used to be and uh, Jack, both of us are guys of a, of a certain age already. We've we've seen many things come and go, and uh, I'm not a, a cop basher either. I, I have most of my friends are cop or military. That's the simple truth. I'm I'm more most definitely a right leaning. Some would consider far right leaning type of mentality. But at the same time, as you were saying, they will follow orders. There's going to be a few there that will try to do what, you know, uphold the Constitution and all that good stuff. Fantastic. But it's not going to be the overwhelming majority. The, over, the overwhelming majority will follow orders. And these are guys, many of them are, are guys with military background as well. They're used to, you know, those are the freaking orders and you just follow them. And you don't want to be losing your pension either. So this idea that it, it will not happen and, I would not go as far as being so trusty, you know, trusting so much in in things falling down in, in a certain way. And it, it used to be that the left would never touch a gun. They would never show themselves in public with a gun, never. Now they're walking, parading down the street with, with their guns, and you know, it just takes one little spark in this mess of powder to ignite everything uh, i don't know if, if you if you saw that uh, alissa milano the the actress that's very anti-gun she yeah. admitted to owning two guns herself yeah yeah that's how they always are <laughs> no that's how they always are and if they don't own guns what they have is like 20 armed guards yeah they don't guns. As if was, that didn't matter <laughs> there was one um politician i'll freeze it House rep or a governor or something like that that's really pushing for all this you know, assault weapons ban and stuff here. And he was questioned um, about the fact that, you know, you're not proposing banning these types of weapons for the security that currently protects you. And his response was basically a form of, well, see, I'm really important. I'm really important. And, and unfortunately, in this world today, you know, to protect people like me, you need weapons like that. Which means, to me, he thinks his protection is more important than my own or my family's. Of course. And he can go screw himself in the butt with a cheese grater before I give up my guns. I mean, that's that's the reality there. And I, I had to tone that down so 
We can, we let, can, let, let me ask we can you, cuss here, but I don't use the F word typically on the show. <laughs> let, let me ask you – well, sometimes words need to be used for, for its intended purpose. Let yeah. me ask you something. Do you see it? Because I see a tendency against guns that I've never seen even with Obama. I don't know what the hell is going on there, but I've never seen so much talk about banning this, banning that, uh, Pelosi being you know, uh, sexually excited almost on TV – uh, what, what is, what's going on? <laughs> Come on! Sexually yeah. excited Pelosi. Oh, you just ruined <laughs> everybody's day. Uh, I know. No, I, I, there's a lot to it. I think what's going on right now, and it's bigger than guns, I think what you have is this, this liberal clown show of such ridiculousness, the Warrens, the Sanders, etc. And they know they're not, unless the U.S. economy somehow takes a dump in the next 12 months, they're not getting power this time. You're going to get Trump reelected. That's what's going to happen. They're playing for 2024. And what they're doing is they're taking these massively extreme positions. It's going to let Trump move to the left himself. And he's going to move further to the left than he already is. And the things that people opposed 100% sound like common sense because of the extreme lunacy. So you don't get an assault weapons ban and door-to-door taking back of guns in this country without civil war yet. A lot of us older guys, we got to die. But you can get a lot more stringent gun control, which all of a sudden starts to sound reasonable to people who are opposed to all of it because it's not this extreme. You can look at health care, the same thing. We're going to take away everybody's health care and force you into Medicare. So what they actually want to do is make Medicare for all an option – which is what the people like Biden are saying. And all of a sudden, that starts to sound sane. compared. Yeah. To, so I think the, the, the level of crazy is being pushed as far as possible to move what looks like the center well to the left. And that's the plan. And I, I don't think any of these people actually think they're going to be president. I don't know. Warren's crazy enough. She might think she is. Right? I think Sanders knows his, his, time, he has, his chance is over. Um, and so I think they're all playing a part in this role. And this whole they call the squad, these, these young congresswomen that yeah. are completely nuts, right, that are <laughs> steering the ship on that side, they're, they're being useful idiots to be able to pull things so far so that then a person that sounds like, you know, left of Barack Obama starts to sound like a centrist. Yeah, like That's a reasonable person yes, compared yes. to Ocasio-Cortez. She's a reasonable person. Yeah, so all of a sudden, and then the person that's already drowning in, in expense, right? So I pay, my single largest expense as a business owner in this country is health insurance for my wife and I. It's more than my mortgage. If you separate my mortgage and my property taxes apart, I yeah. pay more for health insurance than I pay for anything else. That's crazy. But I'm a dick, and I don't want to give up my freedom anyway. I don't care. Most people in that situation, when you say, well... What if you could buy into Medicare for a fraction of what you pay for your health insurance, but we don't make you? They're like, well, uh, okay. And the first people to jump into that, everybody says, well, you know, like the really sick people and all. No, they're not because they, they need care. All the young people that have health insurance in case they get a car wreck or have an early heart attack that are healthy will be the first ones to jump in because all they want to do is pay the cheapest. And all of a sudden, you're gonna you, what they'll do? They'll put all of the private insurers out of business because the government can lose money and keep going forever, at least for a while, right? And then the private companies they have to make money or they go broke. So that was the public option during Obamacare one, right? And everybody fought it tooth and nail. 
And it seemed like it was crazy to do. Now, the people that fought it the hardest, and I said this back before it passed, and I'm talking like 2009 I said this, it is absolutely the case that the people that fought the hardest will accept it happily, either in the next three years or they'll accept it in 2024. And then you, you, you start to, so I see this whole, like there could be some major flare-ups because all this other stuff we talked about with Antifa and, and what have yes. you. But I see this destruction of the U.S. economy as being, as I've said for a long time, a very long spiral, like going over the event horizon into a black hole. And then it will look like it all happened at once. But it really, really would have happened over about 40 years. And I think we're maybe 20, 25 years into that right now. Yes, and I completely agree. We are already into it. I think that it's it's been happening. And one of the things that happens when, when you do what I do, when you leave and you look at things from, from the outside, you see that – You know, the, the slowly boiling frog thing, yeah. people don't notice it. All of a sudden, you you travel back there and, dude, what the hell happened here? Don't you realize where you are in right now? I, I don't think that many, many Americans realize that many of the things we, we're talking here are already ongoing. This is not a matter of uh, it's going to be happening. This is already going for, as you said, 15 years easily. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, everybody that comes here, from a place that already did this, is like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, Carla Greckel, who was deeply involved with the Free State Project, she was from South Africa. And she's like, I don't understand. I don't understand why you people just let this happen. right? You're turning into a police state overnight. And, I mean, this is years, this is not the recent stuff going on in South Africa. This is, you know, she was talking from 20 years ago in South Africa, going, yeah. don't you see where you're headed? And I'm like, well, I do, but most people don't. Most people, and everybody I meet, people that come here from a lot of the Asian countries, etc., are like, don't you understand how much opportunity there is here right now and how you're destroying it? Instead of having an opportunity to have greatness, you're willing to trade it for a guarantee of mediocrity. And, and that, I don't remember who said that to me, but I was like, man, you just you summed the whole thing up. People will trade a guaranteed yes. pathetic average existence for the opportunity to do something really great. And that, to me, is everybody that really makes shit happen in this country would never make that deal. But if you do long enough, either we leave or we stop. right? We stop building businesses. We stop creating new things. Or we go somewhere else and do it because Peter Schiff said one time, another thing that's like stayed in my head, money goes where it's treated well. <laughs> yeah, so right. True. So if you treat money bad, money leaves, and that's personal. It's like if you're a shitty with money, you won't have any money. But if you're a country and you treat money bad, the people with money that build things will Atlas shrugged your ass. They'll leave. It's uh, what happened right now in Argentina with with a new vote. Right the moment the elections happened and everyone realized uh, Kirchner was going to be coming back. The, the currency dropped 50% in its value. It went from 40 uh, pesos to 60 pesos a dollar overnight. And everyone started blaming the current president, Magri. It was, no, you're, you don't get it. The, the currency didn't just devaluate 50% because the guy lost. The currency devaluated 50% because the woman that ruined everything is about to make a comeback. And no one's going to be investing, investing a single cent in that country. Who in his right mind would put a cent in Argentina with Cristina Kirchner around the corner with her lackeys saying that they're going to be taking away land from people and redistributing it? 
Who's going to be putting a cent there when they're saying that they want to be going back to Venezuela? Be, yeah. be, becoming the new – a second Venezuela if it's not crappy enough. I, I could – Hey, Jack, I, I'm, I, I often come across as an, as an asshole because I'm extremely critical personally of my own country, of everything that I yeah. see. But I, I cannot avoid doing that. It's kind of like my nature, I guess. But, you know, you're not going to be changing people. And I can regret and lament as much as I can about what's going on in my country. I'm not going to be changing that. I get emails from people that are scared – Folks in Argentina even get emails from people in in UK telling me that they're getting a hit. They're already in a, in a poor position because of the of a personal you know economic position. You're poor in UK right now, and because of Brexit, you're getting hit with a 15% inflation, 20% inflation. Inflation is the tax on the poor. Inflation is what kills you. And makes you even poorer. If stuff is expensive for you right now, when when the currency drops 50%, like it happened in Argentina, that's hundreds of thousands of people that went from middle class low to poor. And it's unfortunate, but they brought it on themselves. Well, and you know, there's a, there's a piece there that you're, you're hitting on, but you're not exactly saying. So what people I don't think understand, if you live an affluent or above lifestyle – When inflation hits, it hits all the cheap shit first. Yeah. Right? So yeah. If, if I'm eating freaking ribeye, grass-fed ribeye, and the price of your cheap-ass hamburger goes up a lot, the price of my ribeye doesn't go up much. Right? And if I'm driving a freaking Audi and you're driving a jalopy, the price of my Audi doesn't go up that much. And the fact that I can get credit and you can't, and I can get a stupid cheap interest rate and you can't, The people that are at the top of the economic ladder during inflation do not feel it the way the people in the middle and the bottom do. Now, eventually, if it goes stupid, then it hits everybody. But the type of inflation you're talking about, it is a tax on the poor because it hits the wheat and barley and grain bin first. And I mean that yeah. metaphorically. It hits, And they're also the ones that, like, if I can't buy ribeye this week and I got to buy freaking you know, bottom sirloin, eh, right? If they can't afford their cheap hamburger and their bread, they don't eat. Yes. There's a big difference there. And besides, on a personal level, on each person, the average middle-class guy, the average poor guy, food, power, heating, all that stuff, fuel for the car, all that stuff is a big part of his budget. For a rich guy, that's just peanuts. That's just nothing. Yeah. Food yeah. for well, a rich guy, yeah. that, that doesn't even compute. And he's the guy that has, okay, things are, go are getting crappy here. No problem. I'll just move my company to another country. I'll protect my assets. I will not take a single hit on this. Well, probably he already has a presence for his company. In a, like people that are that kind of wealthy, they already have multiple international locations. And so you can say, well, well, we'll basically not let them leave. That's what Warren is saying. We're going to make a wealth tax where they can't get out. Well, they're already gone. It's just it, – it, it's, it, it's, it's, we're just going to shut this one down. And, 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 a, and a guy moves. And if you think they're going to stop these people from moving or taking their money, they're not. And what people say about our country is, well, where would you go? Well, there <laughs> are places to go, first of all. And you can say that for a time, but – The market's going to market, even with nations. 
And if the United States does enough stupid shit, some country's going to go, you know what? We'd like that business. We'd like There's them already. to come here. Right? There's plenty of that, right? You yeah. can pay a lot less tax in Georgia right now than the United States. And I mean the old Soviet Republic uh, nation of Georgia. I think uh, corporate tax rate in Georgia is like 12%. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's a great place to go, but they're they're working on it. They're competing for it. Ireland has a very low uh, corporate tax Ireland rate. Ireland is, is low. You have Singapore, of course. Well, well one, of the yeah. things, one of the things that it, I heard that some of the guys that were really pushing Brexit, they want to do like a, like a Singapore in, 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 you know, a, a Singapore version of the West, you know, in UK, making it like that sort of tax haven. Uh, so there's, there's opportunities all over. Well, in Panama, there's a lot of people that move there. I, I wouldn't do that move personally. I don't think that Central America is anywhere I want to be close. But as you were saying, there's tons of opportunities. If things start getting bad, people will, will start putting their money elsewhere. That's, that's no, that's no joke. Absolutely. So, um, What, what advice do you have for people getting started out in survival and preparedness today? I mean, we were talking about how there isn't, like, the urgency in the space that there was back in, like, 2012. Like, when we, like back then, the industry was booming. They were yes. making reality TV shows and all. People have seen kind of, like, things got pretty decent. Obama went away. Um, you know, uh, 2012 came and the Mayans didn't kill us all. Uh, and, and, like, when people get that amped up, They tend to, like, research comes going to happen, and sooner or later when something doesn't happen, they kind of fall off. But I think people are starting to look around today and going, hey, preparedness is always a good idea. So people that are in that mindset, what would be your advice for them? Well, the first thing, obviously, is taking care of yourself, you know, physically speaking, being in good shape. Uh, I saw you doing some, some interesting stuff there with, with a ketogenic diet and that sort of thing. So that, that's a, a very good idea. Uh, the, Being well yourself, that's your basic most important tool, and it works on several levels. It works on your overall quality of life no matter what happens. It works on, a, on, the, on a, an ability to work and perform in, 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 your, in your job. It works in, in levels of self-defense, being capable of defending yourself better. So that, that would be a good start, getting your house in order in, in all aspects. And then, of course, you have the, the basic prep stuff that um, it covers stuff like what you've, you've been seeing right now with, with the Bahamas and natural disasters, that sort of thing. Storms in winter really shouldn't catch anyone by surprise. Uh, having a, a basic uh, set of, of tools in your house, a basic uh, set of, um, of food storage – So as to get you some some of those tougher times, water, another big one. Uh, but also these days, the, the financial aspect is huge. Having tools as to – look, one of the things that helped me a lot, and this was back in the day in Argentina when things were getting very bad, is having tools as to move financially from one place to the other. These days you have cryptocurrency, which is another useful tool. Being used a lot by folks in Venezuela, by the way. Venezuela is like a little lab for you to see what works and what doesn't. And those folks appreciate crypto and those folks appreciate precious metals as well. So those are lessons to be learned. Awesome, awesome. And you said like a lot of people in this country have a real hard time with the concept of precious metals. But I, I remember you telling me, I think this was back in like 2011, That you saw barter deals made where a guy had like a gold chain, 
and you yeah. know how much like each link weighs, and it's like a 20-carat gold chain, and lay it down on a thing, and this many links take a knife and bust a piece off and trade for it. So I think yeah. if people would do that, then known things like silver eagles, et cetera, that are you know, known quantity, quality and quantity, that that actually does work in that type of society. There's this thing going on in Venezuela right now. Again, focusing always on, on real pragmatic stuff that actually works. There's people in Venezuela right now diving into the sewers. There's a river that goes across Caracas, like the, the capital of Venezuela, where all the surf waters end up. So they dive in there looking for little pieces of jewelry that went down in the, you know, in the huh. bathtub. So they, they dive in there looking for a little bit, bit of maybe a little bit of silver, even if lucky, a little bit of gold. If they find just a little bit of silver, that feeds them for maybe all week. Because right now the minimum wage in, in Venezuela is three or four dollars. <laughs> so wow. just a small amount of silver makes a huge difference for them. So every time you look at that big silver eagle coin, think about how many, many dollars that is and how that translates to food in a place like Venezuela. Uh, I did a video recently for my channel comparing how um, a small denarius coin that is like 2.5 grams of, of silver, give or take. That would still be a fortune today in Venezuela, and it was the payday of a of a soldier in Roman times. Absolutely, absolutely, it, it was like a tenth of an ounce was the the, the daily pay of a Roman yeah. soldier, and that's you know if you look at it that way. I've always said silver, if you look at it from a historical perspective, what you can buy, what used to be two years' wages in silver for today is a deal. Now, I'm not saying to go do it tomorrow. I believe in you know yeah. slow, sensible investing, and I believe your silver, your gold, that goes in the 5% net wealth category. It's your wealth insurance assurance program. It's not like get rid of all your money and go grab that all day, but having no, that no. reserve – Yeah. Is such a cushion, and if nothing goes wrong, it's probably money you'll give to your heirs because it'll be the last money you spend. <laughs> it's one of those few things. Uh, of all the preps you buy, it's one of those few things that ten years later will actually have some value. <laughs> That's one of the things you, you can count on. All the 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 two hundred flashlights you bought, the, uh, the 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 tactical stuff you end up buying, all that stuff, but silver and gold, and you you also have to look at it from a global context because today you pick up a little uh, silver dime, you know, I pick up a, a little uh, mercury dime, and it's like what three four bucks worth of silver. Yeah. But keep keep in mind that in a global context. 40% or, or 50% of the, of the world lives on three or four bucks a day. Hmm. So it's, it's still retaining its value, not only in historical context, but in a global context as well. Today, I, I believe silver is actually quite depreciated compared to what it, it is historically would purchase. I think it was back in 2012, and silver was honestly I, I, a little higher, but I had figured out that If you had enough silver quarters in 1964 to buy a house, in 2012, you could have had the same amount of quarters and bought a nicer house right here in America. Okay, that's right, quite cool. Right here in America, right? So, like, people talk about minimum wage, and I'm like, you know, if we paid people the same minimum wage we paid them in 1964, in the same money we paid it to them in 1964, they'd make more money than minimum wage is even close to right now. 
Like, I mean, when you right. look at it that way, like silver has held its value even here. Now, again, it's, it's down from that time, but I would bet you what you could buy a three-bedroom house with in 1964 in quarters that you could probably still buy a decent house, maybe not in Los Angeles or New York, right, or Miami. But in yeah. middle America, you know, where houses are still selling for $150,000, yeah, yeah, you could. And that's, that's another way to look at that part of your preps, absolutely. Um, if people want to know more about you, read about your work, and you have a new book coming out. I didn't get to see it because I didn't get here. Um, <laughs> yes. But you want to tell people about your new book and how they can get in touch with you and stuff like that? Sure. My, my new book is called Street Survival Skills, and it's a lot of uh, practical advice uh, on survival and preparedness. From But from a very practical point of view, it's full of graphics and explanations, a lot of it in terms of self-defense, awareness, uh, security. And it's available in Amazon. And if not, you can follow my, my channel, which is The Modern Survivalist or TheModernSurvivalist.com. Awesome, man. So uh, another thing I want to just finish up with here on for, with you, because we talked about violence today. I think there's a lot of people that don't get how quick, once things get bad, things go from the average person will not commit violence to violence happening all around you all the time. And that doesn't mean everybody's doing it, but it means enough of it's going on. People getting kidnapped, people getting grabbed out of their houses, etc. When things turned wrong in Argentina, how long did it take to go from normal to no violence being normal. How long did that take? I mean, depending on, on, on the specific, it was hours, days. I mean, in a matter of hours, the, the country just went up in flames. Uh, the rioting started and people started looting stores and supermarkets and everything they could get their hands on. Uh, there's different uh, milestones along the way. That was very visible, very graphic, but uh, stuff like uh, kidnappings that we hadn't seen before, that in a, in a matter of weeks, it, it became widespread as well. Uh, violence can happen very fast. And one of the things for, for people in the United States to keep in mind is you are living right now in a moment where uh, the wrong hat can get your head bashed in. You're wearing your MAGA hat, happily going about your day, and one of these lunatics will crush your skull with a rock because he didn't like your hat. And this this is a fact of what life is right now. So you really cannot lower your guard at any moment. Even when you're in your parking lot in Walmart, it, it can happen at, at any time. So security works at different levels and this is stuff that I cover in the book as well uh, these days you are the, the political violence is there it's very it's very obvious and you can feel it in the society so you definitely have to plan accordingly you have your concealed carry license don't don't leave it at home actually use it and if you don't have it already make sure you get it uh, that's the, the kind of thing I'd be thinking of right now I think one of the things people need to realize, out of your, your primary survival needs, the one that gets the least amount of attention from the average person is security. And there's a reason. We would look at it as the most important, but if we're honest, we'll also concede that many people can live their entire lives and never think about their security and never suffer for it. Because security you only need when you need it, right? Like, you got to eat every day, no matter what. you got to eat. Eventually, you don't eat long enough, you'll die. you got to have water, 48 hours without water. you got to sure. die, right? Security, you can be a clueless idiot for 20 years, and nothing happens. But security what, is the what? Like, how long can you live without food? It's key. Weeks, it's, right? It's, water, sure. you can go days. But you can live exactly one millisecond 
without security when you need it. And that, uh, I, that, is, that is something that people just overlook. It's, it's that and you're dead. This is right in the start of my new book. I talk about the famous rules of three of survival. You, you cannot live three minutes without air, three hours of exposure to extreme conditions, three days without water, and three weeks without food. I also added you cannot live three seconds with a bullet in your head. Because I don't know anyone that starved to death. Having lived so many years in South America and Argentina, I don't know anyone that starved to death, froze to death, died because of lack of water. I do know people that got killed in, in violent uh, situations and robberies and mugs and mugging attempts. Uh, that, that, that I do know. So I just do not conceive survival without uh, preparedness in terms of security because it can happen in the United States. It can happen in Argentina. It can happen in Europe. It can happen anywhere. You know, And people just need to be aware of that. It just happens in a flash. You're going about your normal day worrying about the most stupid thing in the world and suddenly something bad happens. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm going to make sure that I have links for everybody in today's show notes for your books, for your website, and for all your social media so they can hook up with you. And, man, stay in touch, and let's not make it another, you know, seven years before Five you're back. Five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, whatever it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Let's not do that again. And I wish you well. I hope you have a great day, man. You too, Jack. Take care. Man, I hope he doesn't disappear for another five, six, seven years, whatever the hell it was. I, I really like the hell out of Fernando. I got to meet him in person uh, in Salt Lake City one year, and we went out and had some drinks together and dinner, and he is just an awesome guy. Um, what I like about Fernando is if you haven't met me, you have to take my word for this. If you meet me in person, I am the same guy that you hear on the air every day. And if you hear me somewhere else or someone else's show or something, I am that guy. You will come here, you will meet me, I will be the same person, I will talk to you the same way you hear me on online. I do not have two personalities. And a lot of people, even in alternative media, etc., they have two personalities. They're totally different people. They have a show personality, and they have a personality of who they really are. Fernando does not. He's like me. If you talk to Fernando, if you meet him face-to-face, -face, you are going to get the same man that you just heard today. So, again, and I've got links to all his books and all his other stuff in the show notes today. Again, today's episode number, if you are listening to this somewhere in the future, is 2512. And if you ever want to find an episode by number, the easiest way, go to the site, use the search function. Don't necessarily put in 2512. There could be some other uses of that number. Put in episode with no spaces, episode dash, and then the number. And you will find the episode you're looking for just like that. And if you're looking for a subject... Hey, man, we've been around 2,500 episodes in 11 years. Trust me. Put some subject in that, 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 uh, that search box, and you're going to find some episodes where we've talked about it. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up and remind you, in addition to joining the MSB, which you can do at a discount right now, another thing that you can do to help support this show is just do your online shopping through a little website called tspaz.com. And it's really just a page at the Survival Podcast. But tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com will take you there. You can see all the items I've reviewed on Amazon, and as long as you start your shopping there, no matter what you buy, you'll help support us. Today's item of the day is the UTG Ranger Field Bag. This bag is a beast. It is big. It carries a lot of stuff. This bag is big enough that you could put many small humans inside. Not a whole bunch of small humans, but many, many fully grown small adults could be crammed into this bag. That's how big it is. Um, I've carried hundreds of pounds of T-shirts in one of these bags. 
when I used to do the shows and stuff, I really don't do those anymore, but we would roll them up really, really tight military style. You'd be surprised how many you could fit in there. And I mean a couple hundred pounds of T-shirts on my back I've carried with this bag. I have slung it over uh, baggage check and things like that. I have beat it up. And it took me like five years of the most abusive treatment to kill one. And the damn thing cost less than 40 bucks. And if you are not that brutal to it, it probably lasts your lifetime. It's got really great straps so you can carry it as a backpack. And I'm going to tell you, the, the group that uses the hell out of this bag, it's their favorite bag. And I learned about it getting my tanks refilled for my beer. It's not beer drinkers. Uh, but I have a keg system and I have a CO2 tank. And I go to Airsoft Place to get my tanks refueled. That's a really good piece of advice there. It's the best place to get CO2 for your beer systems today. And um, I happened to be down there and I noticed one of the kids had one. And I mentioned the guy because they all have those. So I talked to the kid that was there, had one. He said, "Yeah, they, they hold all our gear, and we play every, you know, every weekend in different places, and we beat the hell out of them, and everybody uses them because they last." I was already sold, but I was more sold after that. You need to check this thing out. It's called the UTG Ranger Field Bag. It's under forty bucks. Ninja Black. They have a camo one. It's like forty-two if you want camo. I like black for travel. It blends in. Looks like everybody else's luggage. And I'll tell you what, when you're having to move through airports, deal with rental car, shuttle bus, hell, and stuff like that, being able to have your hands free or at least one hand free by being able to throw your suitcase on your back, really, really valuable. This thing is built like a tank. Check it out. It's got one weakness. It's got little feet on the bottom. And if you beat the shit out of it sooner or later, it is those feet where you'll start to develop some tears and stuff. If UTG, if you guys are listening, it's time for you to listen to me. I've been saying this for years. Lose the feet on that thing. It'll last twice as long. Uh, but for 40 bucks, how can you complain? Check it out today. Remember, as long as you shop tspaz.com, when you buy stuff online, you help us no matter what you buy. That brings us to our song of the day. Our song of the day today, we are in Superman week. And this song is called Waiting for Superman. And it's by Daughtry, as in Chris Daughtry, who uh, started his run on American Idol. I've told the story about how Chris Daughtry made me a lot of money through Google AdSense back in the day before, so I won't do it again today. This song is really awesome. This song's about how we are all capable of being Superman. That There's people out there that need help on a daily basis that most people just look the other way and walk by. And you can save them all, but you can save one or two here and there. And in that moment, you're Superman. And a lot of times, the people that do the most to help people are the least appreciated. If you watch this video, it might hit you a little bit straight in the feels, man. I'm telling you, the video is a guy that's just saving one person after the next. And the cops keep showing up a little bit too late, not very helpful, and seeing him as part of the problem and roughing him up. And then when they figure out, well, he's not really part of the problem since he looks kind of grungy, he's got like a torn shirt and all, they kind of shove him away like, get out of here, bum, even though he's the one that did what they didn't. Saves the guy from killing himself, and that guy flips out and screams at him, uh, recovers a purse for a lady, got snatched by a purse snatcher, etc. And in the end, he saves this little girl who's just being ridiculed and treated like shit by some bullies, because, you know, that never happens. And uh, he walks her home, and a guy sees him running off the other kids, mistakes it, calls 911, and the police show up again to give him shit. And the little girl's mom says, you know, basically, leave him alone, and uh, he's bum-rushed off by the cops again, and the little girl runs and hugs him. Uh, this is a song that really, it, it, they match the video to the song well. And it's what I've been saying as we've been in this this week with songs about Superman, that everybody's Superman to somebody if you're living a life worth living. And there's a lot of people that 
they don't need someone to run down a mugger or yank them out of a window so they don't jump out. They just need someone to say, hey, how you doing? And when that person says not so good, not to blow it off because you didn't really care about the answer. Or they just need somebody to say, hey, let me help you up. I noticed that you fell down. Hey, I give it a shit. Think about the people in your life or the people that you'll come across that you can do that for and take the step. You too can be Superman. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. She's been locked up inside her apartment a hundred days. She says, yeah, you're still coming just a little bit late. He got stuck at the laundromat washing his cape. She's just... Watching the clowns roll by and they spell a name like Lois Lane and she smiles all the way she smiles. She's talking to angels, counting the stars, making a wish on a passing car. She's dancing with strangers, falling apart. She smiles. She's so-